Matthew chapter 24, we have come as far as verse 8. I'll read down. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Well, tell us, when shall these things be? That's part of their question. When are these the temples going to be destroyed? Certainly, that must be the end of the age. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? They certainly put all of that together in their minds. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, or claiming to be Messiah, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now we're looking at this chapter. It is certainly in the context of Israel, certainly in the context of the nation of Israel in the last days. But through the chapter, there are certainly things put in front of us that we can apply to our lives, that we can take to ourselves. Certainly he's talking about a degree of war and famine and pestilence and earthquakes that we see in the book of Revelation after the rapture, after the the tribulation begins. But we're seeing the beginning of those things. We're seeing things like that happen. Again, always been war, always been famine. Those things have always been in human history. But he says these are the beginning of sorrows, of birth pains. And how you know you're finally in your last trimester and there's not Braxton Hicks contractors anymore, you're actually going into labor, is those sorrows, those birth pangs, get closer and closer together and they get greater and greater in intensity. And certainly we're seeing that in the world around us now. But even that is the restrained version. We're told that the Holy Spirit now is doing his restraining work. And then when he's removed, all of this goes forward unrestrained. Deception, the Antichrist, war, famine, pestilence, and so forth, the four of the apocalypse. So the Lord is telling this to his disciples. Now, as he gets to verse 8, he says, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, he says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So, look, when we look at that, the the passage in, in Luke 21 is similar. It's parallel, but Luke certainly speaks to them that will experience persecution coming up to 70 A.D. and the destruction of the temple. Jesus does a very interesting thing here because in verse 9 he says, then shall they deliver you. Who's who's he talking to? Is he talking to the the 11? 
and shall kill you. You shall be hated, look, of all nations, plural, that wasn't the 12, for my name's sake. Look in verse um Look at verse 15, he says there, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Down in verse 20, he talks to you again, ye. Verse 23, then if any man shall say to you, uh, down in verse 25, behold, I have told you, um, if anybody says to you, behold, he's in the desert, and so forth. As, you, as we go down through here, he's speaking to you. When you see the desolation of abomination, that's halfway through the tribulation. That's the Antichrist proclaiming to be God. So he's not talking to the men that asked him the question in a lot of these places. He's talking to the people that are alive now. The church will be raptured. But there are people alive right now, I believe, that are going to see the desolation of abomination. And he, so, so the interesting thing is we go through the passage, a lot of the ye and the you that he talks to are in the context of the last days. You know, and I, and I think Jesus, you know, as he's looking at the temple, he sees 70 AD. He, he wept when he rode into Jerusalem. He sees the terrible things that are ahead of them, and his heart is broken. And I think here, as, he, as they ask him about the last days, as he looks all the way down to the end of the age, it's the same thing. He's actually talking to a generation that's going to experience and see some of these things. And it's remarkable as we look at that, uh, to keep that in mind. So he says here, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and they will kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations, plural, for my name's sake. Certainly, the, the believing Jews that come to genuine faith during the tribulation are going to be hated because of the 144,000. They're going to be hated because of the two witnesses outside of Jerusalem, it says, who tormented the whole earth. There's going to be incredible animosity against anybody who names the name of Jesus as Messiah. Is that hard for you to believe? Look what's happening in our culture here. We're now being termed as radicals. We're being termed as the enemy. Canada... Trev says they're 10 years to the left of us. Canada, you know, took a pastor, locked him up. He's, he's in prison. They, they went into a home fellowship and drug everybody out of the house, the husband, the wife, the kids, took them all to jail. They released the wife and the kids. The husband was in jail for, for 15 days for having a home fellowship. And that animosity is unfounded. The, 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 the good that the church has done in the culture, uh, the good that the church has done in this generation, it, it shouldn't be persecuted for those things. Now, I understand the hatred if we believe in morals. I understand the hatred if we have the chutzpah to say right and wrong. Those are cursed words anymore. You can't say those. Who do you think you are? You know, right and wrong. I don't know much. 
I know right and wrong. I did when I was six. You know, I, I haven't forgotten. I know what's right and wrong. But but imagine when the Antichrist is in power and these things, it says you're going to be hated of all nations. They're going to kill you. They're going to persecute you for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended. They shall betray one another. We're seeing some of that. And they shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. You see, any Christ rise forth, there's going to be great deception in these days, these last days. And verse 12 says this, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Really an interesting verse. It says, because, here's the the cause of something, iniquity, the word is lawlessness. See any of that going on around us anywhere? Defund the police, be able to do whatever you want to do. Good people are, are condemned and crazy people are embraced. Look, because, here's there's the cause there, because lawlessness shall abound. Look, it shall be multiplied. It's increasing not on a, on a straight line, but on a parabola. It's being multiplied. Look, we're seeing that all around us. Lawlessness multiplied. It says, because of that, Love, the love of many shall wax cold. And the interesting thing, it's the agape of many. It's the only time in Matthew's gospel the noun form is used of that word. The agape of many will grow cold, wax cold. That wax cold phrase is the only time in the, in the New Testament that's used as well. It will grow cold. speaks of a process. And it's, it's a passive form. It's something that will happen to you. You're not doing it on purpose. And, it's, and it says here, look, to, to these people at this time when the Antichrist is in the world, it says because lawlessness will abound that the agape of many, maybe that's why they're betraying one another and so forth, is going to grow cold. The thing that you and I should take note of now is, because I can see it in myself sometimes, because lawlessness is being multiplied in our life, agape can, and is passive, happen in us without us trying sometimes. We have to be mindful of the spirit of Christ and the fact that he wants us to love one another because iniquity and lawlessness is being multiplied. The warning for us, though this is a different era, is that our agape can grow cold. Men will know or his disciples by the agape that we have one for another. Amen. And the thing is, you know, you look at the culture, you look at everything's going on, and sometimes you can just say, they hack with it. They hack with it. They want us out of here, blow the trumpet. You know, they want to go to hell, let them go to hell, you know. Isn't that sometimes that can go on in our hearts and and our love? And I don't think the Lord is heartbroken over the lost people around us. He is heartbroken over the sinners. He's heartbroken, and I believe was, over the Pharisees and Sadducees that attacked him. Because he sees it in light of eternity, and he knows how high the stakes are. And I think for you and I, look, 
One of the things that we have to be careful of is that our love, the agape, that divine unction that's in us through the Holy Spirit, not of our own, we want to make sure that doesn't grow cold as we see lawlessness being multiplied around us. I think what we want to do is remember daily to ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is love and everything attached to that, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith, and so forth, we want that. We want the love of Christ to be shed abroad from our hearts, to be shed abroad. It's not we're doing it, not, not in our own doing. We just, I want, I don't, you know, I'm 70. I don't want to be a crabby old man. I want to be like Jesus. I'm not really old. I'm just saying that, you know. <laughs> but he, interesting, Jesus says here in these last days, because lawlessness, iniquity, shall abound, shall be multiplied, the agape of many shall wax cold. And evidently it was warm. It wasn't cold. But, in light of all that, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So, even though love growing cold, even though iniquity, lawlessness is being multiplied, he that endures to the end shall be saved. That's not our normal word for salvation. He that endures to the end, he's talking about the end of the tribulation to enter into the millennial age, the kingdom. He that endures to the end shall be delivered, shall be rescued, shall be preserved. It's not your normal word for salvation. Nobody's saved by enduring. There's nobody who goes to heaven because they were toughed it out. They huffed and puffed and blowed the house down. That's not how we get to heaven. We get to heaven of grace because the Lord saves us. But people that are in this tribulation period, there's going to be believers. And it's going to be difficult. And he says here, but he that endures till the end of the tribulation period shall be delivered. There's, there's light at the end of the tongue speaking to people that will be in it. And he says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Look, great uh, exhortation for you and I to evangelize, right? The gospel is going to be preached in all the nations, and then the end's going to come. We know for you and I that at some point the fullness of the Gentiles, the last Gentile is going to get saved. And when that last Gentile gets saved, the trumpet's going to blow and we are going to be out of here, right? So would you please witness to people and not give up? You know, we may be waiting for you to witness to your mailman or the checkout stand or something. You might be the one holding up the whole program, right? So this is great kind of fodder for us, exhortation for us to, to preach the gospel. But the context here is different. We should evangelize, but during the tribulation period, you're going to have the 144,000. You're going to have the two witnesses outside of Jerusalem. And finally, you have an angel. Revelation chapter 14 tells us this. It says... And I saw another angel, chapter 14, in the midst of heaven, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel 
to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the and the fountains of waters. So the gospel of the kingdom must first be preached in every nation around the whole world. Then the end shall come. So during the the tribulation period, you have the 144,000. That that message is going to go throughout the world. 144,000 Billy Grahams. Imagine the two witnesses. The eyes of the whole world are upon them. It tells us because the whole world celebrates when they're killed. And then whoever doesn't listen to them, the Lord, his grace is so unmeasurable that an angel is going to fly around the planet and preach the everlasting gospel in every language, to every ethnic group, to every tribe, to every people, so that when God finally brings his wrath, he's completely justified. Every opportunity has been given. No one is going to say, I didn't know, I didn't hear. Right? I just thought that was another one of those angels flying around saying crazy stuff. No. Everybody's going to know this gospel of the kingdom must be preached among all nations. And then they're asking about the last days and so forth. Shall the end come? When, here's another when, when ye therefore, that's got to be people alive now, see, ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. The holy place insinuates the naos in the temple, a rebuilding of a temple in Jerusalem or the setting up of a tabernacle with a holy place, a naos. You know, Second uh, Thessalonians seems to really indicate a temple. What it says here, when you see the desolation of abom- abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And look, he says, whoso readeth, understand. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that the Antichrist is going to make a treaty with Israel, a seven-year peace treaty. Isaiah says that uh, Israel will make a covenant with hell and with death. Jesus said, I came in my Father's name, and me, you wouldn't receive me. Another's going to come in his own name, and him you will receive we're told this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, Daniel 9, be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Second Thessalonians speaks of that. Here's the, the thing you want to take note of. There are those who would say, this is just for some of you, not really interested. Some say, well, it was Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, Antiochus Epiphanes was before Christ. Jesus is still speaking about something he believes is future. 
Then there are those who say, well, this is Titus. He destroyed Jerusalem and so forth. That did happen. But it tells us in Thessalonians that when this takes place and this Antichrist deceives, that the Lord is going to come and destroy him with the brightness of his coming, the brilliance of his coming. That hadn't happened yet. That hadn't happened. So the Bible speaks about a future Antichrist, a rebuilt temple or holy place, and someone desecrating that which Daniel tells us he will do in the middle of the seven-year treaty. He's going to desecrate the temple and claim to be God himself. Jesus said, he said, let those then who see this, when you, not speaking to the 12, they weren't, they weren't alive then, the 11, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, they knew exactly what it was, Stand in the holy place, and I believe, I believe with a heart cry, whoso readeth, let him understand. These will be people saved during the tribulation and Jewish believers reading Matthew 24 and understanding it for the first time. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Remember, Luke told us in chapter 19, the triumphal entry, as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he's sitting on the donkey and they're screaming, save now, so forth. And it says he's weeping. He's convulsing. He said, Jerusalem, if you'd have only known the things that belong to thy peace on this thy day. But because you didn't know the time of your own visitation, your house was left to you desolate and so forth. So here he's saying, he's saying, let the reader understand. Because he had condemned them before for not understanding Daniel's prophecy from the ninth chapter. Now, during this time, three and a half years in the tribulation, he says, now, when this takes place and you see it, the, the, the abomination of desolation, he says, then understand what you're reading. He that reads, let him understand. Then, when that takes place, three and a half years into the tribulation, then let them which be in Judea, that's not us, this is Jewish ground, let them flee unto the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop, these are not roofers, not come down to take anything out of the house. In Israel, they had flat roofs. In the evening, you up there, it was cool. Many parts of the city still like that. Let him who was on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And who... Uh, woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days, those that are pregnant, those that are nursing children. Pray ye, he talks directly to them, pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Isn't it interesting? The Lord in these warnings talks directly to those women that are with child or nursing his heart goes out to them. And he says, pray that your flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath. And I think of his heart in that. as he. And I think, Lord, are you saying that prayer can change the calendar here? You know, are you saying pray it doesn't happen that way because... You can make adjustments on behalf of pregnant women and 
infants, and I don't know. I'm not saying that. Don't say Pastor Joe said that. I'm not a heretic. I'm not just, you know, I'm just thinking these things as I look at them. Lord, is that what you're seeing? You know, it tells us that in Isaiah there's a place prepared for Israel in the wilderness in Petra. Revelation chapter 12 tells us this. It says that there was a place, the women, the woman, the nation of Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,203 score days. Okay? Take note of that. Because he says when you see the abomination of desolation, then pray your life's not winter and so forth. But he says then let them flee to the mountains. says right here... That when this betrayal takes place, there are people that flee to Petra, to a place that's been prepared for them for the second half or the Great Tribulation for 1,260 days. He said, and the woman to the women were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the face of the serpent behind all of this, the Antichrist and so forth. Petra. And you guys, who's been the Petra here? Anybody? Me and you. Anybody else? Over there? Okay. Remarkable. And if, who's seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? A few more. Who don't have a TV here? You know. So when you watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you see him go through that crevice you know, and he finally comes out there with this big rock temple. Now, when you go there, the, that ancient crusader and the cup of Christ are not there. That's not real. That's not happening there. But, but when you go there, that's there. But that's just the beginning. Petra is larger than Manhattan. They estimate there were over 300,000 Nabataeans living in Petra. And there are many that have been going there putting stores there because they believe Israel's going to come there. Christian organizations have been storing food and so forth there because they believe this is where Israel's going to flee. They say there's a thousand Jews a day that come and tour Petra now. If you can imagine that. There's a place prepared for her in the wilderness for 1,260 days. When you see the desolation of the abomination, that's when the 1,260 days begin. He says... Then let them which are in Judea flee unto the mountains. Here's our picture. This is what's happening. This is not for the church. This is Israel. Pray that your flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath. And then it says, for then, verse 21, shall be great tribulation. At that point begins the great tribulation. The whole period is tribulation. People who don't study their Bible say, well, the first half's not the tribulation. The first half is the tribulation. The second half is the wild tribulation, the great tribulation. The first half of the tribulation, the first 1,260 days, when we read chapter 11 in Revelation, it says the two prophets that are killed, they prophesied for 1,260 days. They no doubt killed by the Antichrist when he comes in to desecrate the temple. They prophesied and it said they tormented the entire earth. That's the first half. That's no picnic. 
But once you get to that midpoint, then you have the great tribulation and things unimaginable, no doubt, taking place. And look, this is the most documented time period in the Bible. There isn't anything in the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran or, or you know, any other writing that even touched this. Again, one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. One out of every four verses. It's the largest subject in the scripture. And the test, you know, people say, well, the gospel, well, the testimony of Jesus, it says in Revelation 19, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And this is the broadest subject in the New Testament. And when it boils down to these last seven years, this is the most documented time period in the Bible. It's called three and a half years. It's called a time, times, and a half a times. Time, year, times, two years, and a half a time, three and a half years. It's called 42 months, clearly. It's called 1,260 days. If you're here tonight and you're not saved... And you want to be stubborn about it? We still love you. If we all disappear, particularly tonight in the middle of the study, if all of a sudden we all disappear and all our clothes and blood are laying here on the floor, feel free to go up to the bookstore and take anything you want. Jerry will help you. Uh, that's a joke. That's a joke. But, you know, if, if, if you... If you or, you know, this sounds crazy to you. It's, it's crazy to think that the Lord would leave his blood-bought ones here when all of this gets rolling. That's what's crazy. It says he hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this time period, this 70th week of Daniel. And, and, and interesting, it seems that the earth has flipped back to a 360-day year, maybe through one of these great quakes. Because half of it is 1,260 days. You know, that's a 30-day month. So interesting to see this, uh, what's going on here. It says, pray that your flight's not in winter, for then shall be great tribulation, he says, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, never shall be. This will be the worst period of time that the world sees. Jeremiah uh, says it this way. Uh, let me go there. Hold on. I have too many markers in my Bible here. Jeremiah says, alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved, delivered out of it. He that endures the end shall be saved. And and Jeremiah agrees, said there's never been a time like this. These are days that the world has never seen or ever will again. Verse 22, and except for those days, except they should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. That's the same word saved that you have up um, in verse 13. He that endures the end shall be saved, delivered, rescued, preserved. It says, um, and except those days be shortened, there would be no flesh 
saved, alive, preserved, and so forth. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Okay, so the elect, well, that's the church. You know, we believe in election. We believe in Calvin. And um, you know, I'm, I'm with you most of the time. I'm, I'm tulip. I'm probably not tulip, but I'm, you know, I'm plugged in. I understand. I believe in a lot of that. You read the Bible. You, you gotta, you gotta look at it. Isaiah 45. It says this. It says, for Jacob, 45 verse 4, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Um, Chapter 65 of Isaiah. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it. My servants shall dwell therein. Again, in Isaiah 65, it says, And they shall not build, and another inhabit. They shall not plant, and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So when we go through this chapter 24, you'll see there in verse 22, it talks about his elect. Verse 24, it talks about his elect. Um, Over in verse 31, it talks about his elect. And this is not talking about the church. Israel of old was called the elect as well. In fact, you have that word in the King James, elect, several times, but dozens of times the same words translated chosen. And that's the same idea as elect and even in the New Testament. So he here is talking about the Jews. He's talking about Israel. And he said, except those days were shortened, he said, there would be no flesh alive. He said, but for the elect's sake, he says, that's going to happen. We're told in Romans chapter 11, it says, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Speaking of Israel, he says, out of Israel, it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob for there is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel it says they are enemies for your sake Paul's telling them because blindness has happened to the Jews in part the gospel's been shed to the Gentiles and you've been gathered in through their blindness so he says in one respect he says here Uh, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So again, Paul reaffirms the same thing, that Israel, as well as the church in a different way, but Israel is God's elect. And for the elect's sake, it says here, those days will be shortened. Then, in those days, if any man says to you, Now, those that are going to be alive then, lo, here is the Christ, or there, believe it not. Because they say, well, it's going to be the end of the age, and the sign of your coming. So he's going to make abundantly clear what that sign is. Then if anybody says unto you, lo, here is Messiah, the Christ, or, or there, don't believe it. For there shall arise false messiahs, and false prophets, 
and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive even the very elect. There we have it again. So he says, look, don't be, if you hear Christ is there, you hear Christ is there, don't believe that. Don't believe it. He said, you know, they're going to come. They're going to show signs and wonders. We know that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to call down fire from heaven. They're going to mimic the two prophets that were outside of Jerusalem that were killed. They're going to perform signs and wonders. It tells us in Revelation 16, preparing for the battle of Armageddon, that three demon spirits like frogs are going to be released from Euphrates, and they're going to gather with power and deceiving signs and wonders all of the kings of the earth to the battle of the great day. So here he says, look, this, is, this time's going to be so deceptive, and there's going to be signs and wonders, and that it was possible in so much that if it were possible, they would deceive even the elect. Now, the wonderful thing there, if it were possible, it's not. In the Greek language, you have class conditions. So they have three ifs. We got one. Something's kind of iffy. Come see, come saw. Might be, might not. We, that's, that's if. We got one if. Maybe it is, maybe it ain't. In the, in the Greek language, you have three ifs. You have, if this happens, and it will, then you have, if this happens, and it might, like our if. And then you have a third class condition, if this happens, and it will not. That's our condition here. If it were possible, they deceive even the elect. It's if it were possible, and it's not. They would deceive even the elect, these great signs and wonders. And Jesus says then, behold, it's an imperative here, really low, behold, you have to think about this. And that's why I've told you beforehand, I've told you ahead of time, he, you, you have to think about this. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And he's talking to this generation that will be alive then. And by the way, he's talking to us as well. If he's forewarned us about anything, he, he says you have to think about that. You know, you and I, you, you, again, you read the, the other holy writings, you know, the, the well, quote, unquote, holy writings, Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, the Quran. There's no prophecy in any of them. No prophecy in any of them. You know, Edgar Case, Nostradamus, Gene Dixon, you know, they, what, they get 50-50, you can do that flipping a coin. In the scripture, if a prophet says something and it doesn't happen, you take them out and stone them. We can't do that anymore. That was the Old Testament. But the idea is when God says something, it always happens exactly the way that he says it. So he says here, look, I've told you ahead of time, you have to think about that. You have to behold that once and for all. Eridus imperative. You've got to think about it once and for all. You and I, the day we're living in. We see what's going on around us. We see what's happening in the world. We see the stage being set. We have to think about that, don't we? More than we ever have. More than we ever have. This verse is speaking directly to specific people that will be alive during the Great Tribulation. It is a warning for us. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, because of that, if they shall say unto you, Again, it's the you. Behold, 
he is in the desert. He's out in the wilderness, in the desert area, the Messiah. Don't go after them. Go not forth. Or they say, behold, he's in the secret chambers. Don't believe that. The J-dubs have that. They have a Messiah who came, I forget the dates, 1918. They said he was coming, he didn't show up. So then they said 1928 he was coming, he didn't show up then. Then they say he's in a secret place. Jesus said, you don't, don't believe any of that stuff. You know, then it was Lord Maitreya, you know. Lord Maitreya, the, the Swami from, from uh, India, he's really Jesus. And he was going to do this, and it never happened. Now he's hidden away in uh, London somewhere with every other kooky person hidden away in London. Jesus is going to say, look, you're asking me about the sign of my coming, the end of the age. You don't need any weird prophets to talk to you. We are a non-profit organization. Okay? Really, it's what he's saying here. You're going to see it. He says, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man B. You, you, you need to understand, there's not, he's not hidden away. It's not secret thing. He's not, you know, he's not out in the desert. He says it's kind of like the light. The lightning comes out of the east and it shines towards the west. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There's no, there's no wondering about that. We love this verse. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. The moon shall not give its light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. He just says, look, this is, this is, here's the sign of my coming. I'm not hidden out in the desert. I'm not in some secret uh, apartment somewhere. You know, I'm not in some cave with a bunch of devotees. He says, this is how you'll know I'm coming. The sun will go out, the moon will go out, the stars will fall out of the sky, and the only visible thing that anybody can see is the Son of Man coming through heaven with power and great glory. Any confusion there? You know, how will we know? What's the sign of your coming? Some secret thing? He said, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. He says, as the lightning shines from the east to the west, you know, we're told in Isaiah uh, 63, that when he comes, now he's coming, it says here, who is this that cometh from Basra? That's east of Jerusalem. You know, he says, and he's coming from the east to the west. If he descends slowly, that's the way the earth rotates, by the way. He'll be coming from east to west. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's the answer. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth out the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone of the people. There was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all of my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered, and there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger, and I will make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth." 
He's going to come from the east to the west. Zechariah says in that day, 14.4, his foot shall touch on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is going to split in half, of it, half of it moving north, half of it moving south. You know, there's no confusion about this. The guys are saying, well, you know, how will, how will we know what's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? He said, let me give you a broad description here. You know, you won't be around, but I want whoever reads to understand. One who, who's ever there, I've told you ahead of time, I want you to know. And you don't have to listen to anybody who has some special insight into the Messiah. Look, I did that before I was saved. You know, Hatha Yoga, Raja Yoga. You know, the, then the 14-year-old the guru came from India, uh, Maharishi Mahesh. No, no, not Maharishi. He was uh, Guru Raji. You know, so I went up to New York. The Divine Light Mission waited for like three days with all these hippies to receive divine light, you know. And then you go into this room and, uh, the, you know, his, some of his students tell you this is what you do. You touch this place on your forehead. You do it with a blanket over your head so that nobody else can see what you're doing. Only Guru Maharaj has the right to give out this divine knowledge. And then you go in a room waiting three days. You finally get to see this little 14-year-old tubster. And... Uh, and he blows in your ear. You bend like he's going to tell you a secret. He goes, that's it. After, after waiting for four days, you know. So uh, I know it's crazy. Well, we were crazy. We were taking LSD. We thought that meant something. We were trying to figure out what happened, you know. And I remember Harris and I then, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd send somebody in to get Harris out of his house. He comes here to church. We got saved the same night together. And uh, they would say, he's not in there. I said, look in the corner. There's a blanket there. <laughs> and Harris would be sitting in the corner with a blanket over his head, you know. And then uh, finally, we were living up the mountains with a band. We were living in this place. And there were Bibles laying all around. And I kind of started reading it. And I liked the Jesus idea because it seemed like he was saying there's a loophole here. Even though you're a sinner, you can get in, you know. Uh, you don't have to find a perfect path. And I said to Harris, I said, I kind of, I like this Jesus thing, Harris. He, he said that's against everything we believe. We, you know, we're supposed to pray with a veil over our head. And he, and he says, look here in this Corinthian book or whatever it is. It says not to pray with a veil over your head because your head's the image. And as he read it, the 1972 September, the presence of the Lord filled the room and I wept like a baby. There was a person there. Not nirvana, not a power. There was a person there. And his love, wave after wave after wave, fluttered over me and cleansed me. I could hardly lift my head. I could hardly lift my head. And he says here, look, my coming, that's how he came to me, but his coming and his return... He said, there ain't no secret Guru Maharaji stuff going on. You don't need any of that stuff. You want to know what the sign of my coming is? Keep your eyeballs open. And when the sun goes out and the moon goes out and the stars fall out of heaven and you can't see anything but me, that's the sign of my coming. You know, <laughs> don't try to feel scratch your head. Gee, I wonder if this is it, you know. He says, when you see me coming with all of these horses, with the saints and angels behind me, then you know it's kicking off. You know what's going on then. Isaiah 13, Ezekiel 32, um, Revelation 6, Revelation 8, Joel chapter 2. You can read all, through all these things in the Old Testament. It talks about them. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened 
The moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall. Peter does this when he preaches on, on uh, of Joel's prophecy on Pentecost. Same verses. And uh, of heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then, boys, that's when they're going to see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Caiaphas was beating him and had spit on him and says, I adjure thee by the living God. If you're the Christ and tell us, Jesus said unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless, I do say unto you, hereafter you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He's going to experience that in Revelation 20 when he's raised to judgment. Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Let me, uh, let me turn there very quickly. Like my computer notes here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. That's how you know he's coming. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, the Jews, and all the tribes of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So the Lord said, no, there's no secret about the sign of my coming. Nobody's going to have to wonder, gee, I wonder if this is him or somebody else. Then you'll see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the heaven with power and great glory. Not great glory, great glory. And he shall send forth his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect, there they are again, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, the four points of the compass, the four corners of the earth. The idea is there's going to be a gathering, probably the 144,000, uh, plus th- those that have survived this time period. Isaiah 11 uh, says it this way. Uh, it says... And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcast of Israel and shall gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Uh, He says again this way, it shall come to pass, Isaiah again, in that day. By the way, you should be coming to the Isaiah study with Jerry on Tuesday mornings. Isaiah is just an incredible book. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and you shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. Isn't that interesting? One by one. No one is left. He knows us all. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown. The Lord just said that in Matthew 24. And they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts of the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. So that's how you know when he's coming. That's when it's going to take place. Now, what do we watch out for now? Well, he tells us this. He says, wheresoever the carcass is, 
there will the eagles be gathered together. What in the world is he talking about? Like, it's an interesting, because the word there for eagles was sometimes used, it's specifically a word to fly, and it speaks of birds of prey. And it could also be used of vultures, usually translated eagles in the King James at least. I think it's four or five times. But he's telling us something where the carcass is. Now, the carcass is corruption, when something becomes corrupt. When something becomes corrupt, the birds of prey sense that. You know, you probably have been somewhere, I've been many times, where you can see vultures circling in the air. Because they either smell something or they see something. There's carrion, there's a carcass, which is normally what eagles, not, nor, normally eagles don't go after that. They can at times. But what he's saying here is where the cart, where corruption, when, when, when the corruption, I think Luke 17, he talks about it too. When the corruption gets to that point that in the natural birds of prey would be gathering, the same thing is happening in the spiritual realm. I don't measure time by the clock or the calendar. I measure time morally. That's how God measures time, morally. He says to Abraham in chapter 15, that your descendants are going to go back, they're going to go into Egypt uh, for a generation, 400 years. Then I'm going to bring them out to judge the Canaanites, and I'm going to wait 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorite has not yet come to a full. God says, I'm measuring time morally, and when they're corrupt to the point where there's no more fixing it, the cancer has eaten the whole culture, there's no more reviving, there's no more healing, then I'll use Israel as my instrument of judgment. He's measuring time morally. And I think he's doing that right now. You know, we, I, 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 sometimes I think, Lord, forgive me, I kind of get aggravated like I want to live in a corrupt culture or something. I, this is starting to stink, isn't it? Some of you need to get your noses fixed. This is starting to stink, isn't it? If you were a vulture, you would know more than you know now. You know, so, so he measures time morally. And look, you're going to be mocked if you believe in marriage. You're going to be mocked if you believe in morals. You're going to be mocked if you believe that there's one way to be saved. We may be drug out of our houses and our home fellowships. I might be in jail. I hope a good cook gets arrested with me. You know, just, just you think of where this is all going around us, and this starting to stink. For you and I, that should tell us, hey, these are the days where the, the eagles, might, the vultures might be gathering. These days are like that. And he's told us, because he's told us, that has to be in our minds. It has to be in our minds. We need to measure our days. We need to live like we believe the prophetic word. Amen? And, uh, and like we believe Jesus is coming. Now, we don't have time to move on. He, he answered the what shall be thy sign. Next week, if the Lord tarries, he starts to talk more about the when. And he gives us some markers in human history that are really remarkable as we move on. So I'd encourage you to, to, to read ahead. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, come up here and pray with us afterwards. It was wonderful. We saw people saved on Sunday. You know, if you, if, 
if you don't know Christ personally, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about church, forget about religion. Do you know him? Do you know him? There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He rose and he ascended. And he said, you know, to his disciples, I have been with you, but I shall be in you. I'm not going to leave you orphanos. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I'm going to send the spirit of truth and he'll be in you. You and I today have that relationship with Christ through his Holy Spirit. I have been with you. I shall be in you. That's what you want, not religion. And if you don't know that Christ, that risen Christ who loves you and died in your place so you don't have to, then when the studies are, we'll be hanging out up here. Come on up and just say, I want to know this, Jesus. How what I need to do? I'm ready. And we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you a Bible, some literature to take with you. We don't, we're not going to hassle you for your email or your phone number. And you don't have to worry about any of that. But we'd love to see you make that decision for Christ. Let's stand. Let's pray. The musicians will come. Father, I know you've overheard. Lord, if there's any here, Lord, we, so to, to look around the room, it's hard for us to know. But you know, you see that. It's not hidden from your eyes, Lord. Are there those here right now that are kind of struggling, that they can fool everybody but themselves, and they know there's an emptiness, and, and there's an anxiety about COVID and the days we're living in and things that are going on all around us, and, and they're not sure if they got taken down where they'd spend eternity. Lord, let them leave this evening with peace, with assurance, with joy, Lord. Let them tonight receive your love and forgiveness. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, um, help us, Lord, as we, 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 we're, we're able, Lord, by what you say to us, to see the, the, the tapestry coming together, Lord. We're, we're able to see things moving into place, Lord. We're able to see things that you told us about and then asked us, Lord, to be good stewards of the time, Lord, that we should walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. And, Lord, that we should recognize the days that we're living in. Help us to do that, Lord. Help me to do that. Lord, if you don't help anybody else in the room, help me, Lord. Please, Lord Jesus. Let everything we say we believe have a genuine impact on the way we walk with you, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord. Renew us. Strengthen us. We are 100%, Lord, dependent upon you. But that dependence is filled with anticipation because of your faithfulness, Lord. All the glory is yours, Lord. We, we just recommit our lives afresh this evening, Lord. As your sons and daughters, we ask that you draw any that don't know you. And Lord, as we lift our voices and this song rises before your throne, Lord, let it be a sweet savor. Let it be great unity here in the room. Let it be a prayer that we all lift together, Lord. Let it bless you in a crazy, crazy world. Let this bless you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.